says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways and from violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not be perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now there's two things that I look at this scripture and I see. The first one is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this time he believed it and did what God told him to do. I don't know about you all, but I've had times in my life when the Lord's told me to do something. Either through his word or through someone else. And I didn't do it. And I didn't get cast into the belly of a whale, but it almost felt like it. But he relented and he came and asked me to do it again. Now the Ninevites, when they heard the message, they immediately turned. And we've heard earlier how deprived of a society they were, but and they weren't even listening to our God. They had all kinds of other gods, but yet they turned. And God spared them. We hear about repentance. And just like this, it talks about sackcloth and ashes. And we, or I sometimes, relate that to punishment. But God is not wanting to punish us. God loves us. He wants to change us for the better. Just like this, it shows that immediately God relented from going to destroy us. God doesn't want to destroy us. God loves us. He wants to bless us. And the only way he can do that is if we repent. The word repent is in the Old Testament 23 times, and it's in the New Testament 57 times. The word repentance is in the Bible 24 times, and of those, 21 of them are in the New Testament. And they always do with a promise. It's not a punishment. 
It's a promise. If we repent, then we'll get this. And it's God's promises to us. In Acts 2.23, it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. If you repent, your sins will be forgiven and you will be given the Holy Spirit. You know, I've been to a lot of different churches. I, I, as most people in here know, I, I ride a motorcycle and I ride with the Christian Motorcycle Association and we go to a lot of different churches. So I've been to churches of a lot of different denominations and sometimes I wish we'd be a little more Pentecostal. <laughs> you know, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the feeling it, the, you know, amens and the hallelujahs. And the coming to the altar. We have, we don't actually call this an altar. We call this a stage. But, you know, there's, there's verses in the Bible where we're told to come before the Lord. And we don't have to do it in a church setting. You can do it at home. You can do it on the side of the road. You can do it anywhere. But I believe that if we do it in a Christian atmosphere in front of our Christian friends, we don't have to tell everybody what we're repenting for. We don't have to tell everybody what we're praying for. But the Bible does tell us that confess your sins before one another. It don't, like I said, it doesn't mean you got to tell everybody. But we do need to repent. We do need to know, and the Holy Spirit tells us what we need to repent from. And if we want the promises of God that are in the Bible, we have to do what God says to get those promises. And there are so many promises that come after we repent. In Matthew 3, 1 and 2, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Luke 15, 7, it says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just people who need no repentance. Well, to be just, we have to repent. And to get the promises, we have to repent. We have to look at the stories throughout the Bible and every story in the Bible is just not a story. It's a spiritual lesson. Everything in our Bible is spiritual. And it's all spiritual lessons. And it's promises. It's God's promise to his people whom we are. We are his people. We are the Israel of today. He grafted us in. He made us part of his family. 
if we accept it and if we accept his words. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is pleading with us through his word to repent, just like the Ninevites did. In the 23rd Psalm, which I'm sure just about everybody in here probably knows by heart, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In some versions where it says, he restoreth my soul. It says, he repents us. And in the opening part of this psalm, the dominant image is a shepherd caring for his sheep. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He guides his flock in righteousness path. How many of us, when we think about that picture, isn't that what we want? To lie next to a gently flowing stream in a green pasture. To have someone feed us and take care of us. And that's what God wants to do. That's what he longs to do. You know, we know that sheep are prone to go astray. We've read elsewhere says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep in Psalms 119, verse 176. And we're all familiar with the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus left the 99 to search for the one. The Hebrew verb for restore is shiv. In its basic form, it means to turn or to turn back, to return. It's also a word frequently used for repent. In Jeremiah 3.22, it says, return, the same word, shoot. O faithless son, and I will heal your faithlessness. In fact, in Jewish tradition, the noun used for repentance, teshuv, is from the same word, shoot, which is repent and he's saying he will heal our faithlessness if we will repent he will help us to be more faithful lost sheep didn't bring themselves home the shepherd does he goes out he looks for them he finds them, and he brings them back home. And that's what Jesus does for us. When we're lost, when we're out there, when we're struggling, he comes looking for us. 
He looks for us every day. He wants to help us. He wants to bring us back home. He wants us to have the best life possible. I mean, how many of us have heard our parents say, I just want the best for you. And how many of us have parents have said, I just want the best for my kids. I want them to have things I didn't have. I want them to have it easier than I had. Well, God is the ultimate parent. And he wants us to have the best of things. But just like a parent, those good things have to be on his terms. And his terms are written for us in the Bible. And if we read the Bible and we study his terms, then we can come to an agreement with him, repentance, that his ways are right, that we want his things, that he promises. And, and people who have done that, they know the greatness of his promises. They know the peace, the, the resting beside still waters, the laying in a green pasture that the world doesn't know. It seems like today with all the things going on in the world, how many people don't have peace? How many people's lives are in turmoil? You read every day, if you read the newspaper, if you watch the news, you read every day about people whose lives are in turmoil. Murders, strife, fights, arguments, blackmail, stealing, why do people do these things? Because they are not happy with their life. They feel disrespected. They, there's a plethora of reasons that these things go on, but the main reason is they don't know Jesus. They don't know the real God. If you listen to talk shows and see talk show hosts that talk about Christians, they don't know the real God. They don't know what a real Christian is. I had a friend that often said that, you know, if somebody came up to you and looked at you and said, you know, I think you need brain surgery and I'm a brain surgeon. Why don't you come over to my garage and we'll do it? Would you believe them? Well, no, you wouldn't believe them. Well, it's the same thing with people that profess to be Christians, but don't act like Christians. Maybe they're saved. I'm not saying they're not saved, but I'm saying they're not sanctified. And to be sanctified, you have to repent, you have to believe God, you have to believe His Word, and you have to follow His Word. And as you do it, He will increase your faith. There's a verse in the Bible where the guy says, hey, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. The centurion whose daughter is sick died. Help me in my unbelief. Well, to be helped in our unbelief, we have to believe. 
And the more we believe, and the more we step out in faith, the more we'll see God's promises fulfilled to us, and the better our life will be. I mean, we have people in this congregation who are the most giving, wonderful people there are. I look at Caleb and Katrina, what they do for people. I look at Miss Margaret, just so faithful, and I'm not, I'm sorry if I embarrass you, but I, I, I didn't ask anybody to use your name, but everybody here that knows God and reads their Bible and studies can tell you how much their faith has grown through it and how much God has helped them in their faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But when we look at this scripture, it tells us Sin is a heavy burden that weighs us down. It'll break our back. It'll break our faith. And Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, wants to write a great story about each and every one of us. He's the author. He's the finisher. He will write the story. He will write it on our hearts, and he will write it in our lives. We're like other people see us and it'll just be a light to them. And he's ready to do that. But just like the Ninevites, it all starts with repentance. It all starts to saying, God, you're right. And I was wrong. It all starts with believing that his promises are true. And if they're in this Bible, they are true. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants to lighten our load. How many people don't want their load lightened? How many people feel the pressures of the world on them and want their load lightened? There's only one way to get it lightened, and that's to come to Jesus and come to him on his terms. He's ready to do it. He's ready to switch yokes with us. He's ready to take on our heavy yoke and let us take on his light yoke. He doesn't want us to be weary and burdened. Go back to Psalms 23. He wants us to lay in green pastures beside the still water. He wants our life in faith in him 
to be more peaceful. Isaiah 40, 31. God affirmed to those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This verse is quoted as a promise of God's refreshment. It is a promise of God's refreshment, but it's something deeper than that. God promises those that hope in him that he will renew their strength while soaring, running, or walking. Soaring, running, and walking are activities. So God isn't giving us a picture of a sleeping Christian. He's giving us a picture of an active Christian. Those who hope on the Lord is someone who is tirelessly moving onward, wholly dependent on Christ. This is the portrait of the renewed Christian. Moving forward, running, walking, or soaring more towards God every day. In Revelation 2, Jesus is, or the angels talking in heaven to John, to the churches, talks to seven churches, two of them. He says, remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That is not just about when you die, you'll get to go to heaven. God is with us today. God is here with Christians today. We can have paradise on earth. Don't he wouldn't tell us that he'll let us lay in green pastures and that he'll put us besides the still waters. Don't he say, won't say, take my yoke, which is light, and I'll take yours, which is heavy. Don't he wouldn't say, I will Renew your strength. All of those promises are for us here. Not way in the future when we die. And we have to believe that. That's part of faith. God is ready today. In verse 16, talking to another church, he says, repent or else I will come quickly. I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except for him who receives it. But there's two things about this passage that strike me. The first is 
In Ephesians 6, it tells us that the sword, which he talks about, is the Word of God. God's Word is His sword. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It says it will divide, and it does divide. It divides what's right from what's wrong. It divides promises from punishment. It gives us every answer to every question we could ever have. Second Timothy 3 tells us, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ, which is in Christ Jesus. Do we want to be wise? We have to use His Word. We should base our life on His Word because it is the truest thing we will ever read. All Scripture is, got, is given by inspiration of God it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every, we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work through reading God's Word. When he talked to the churches, he said that he would give them manna to eat. Well, where did he give people manna to eat? In Exodus 16, God gave the Israelites manna to eat every day. Just what they needed for that day. They couldn't store up a week's worth because it would rot. The only day they could store up some for tomorrow was the day before the Sabbath because they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath and it would last for two days. We are God's people today. He will give, and he says right there, he will give us the manna to eat. Manna was like coriander seed and it tasted was like wafers made with honey. Coriander seed is a dried fruit of a plant and it can be used whole or ground. They have a mellow flavor and it is slightly citrusy. Sort of like a light taste of an orange. It has a note of sweetness. And dry roasting coriander allows the spice to take on a more robust floral aroma. The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness of sin. I read that and it sort of reminds me of the world today. The wilderness of sin. Yet they ate manna and quail and drank water that they didn't have to work for. 
God provided it. God provided it because of their faithfulness, even though they argued about it and they complained about it. God gave them manna to eat. And he has given us manna to eat. In John 6, 31 through 35 and 48 through 51, it says, Our fathers ate manna in the desert, and it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give the bread from heaven, but God the Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your father ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I shall give you is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus is our manna the sweet tasting citrusy honey for us the bread for us john 1 1 through 5 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things that were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not understand. If we put those scriptures together and look at them objectively, we see that today Jesus is our man. And we see that today the word is Jesus. We have to understand that if we want to live in the light, if we want to come out of the darkness, we have to eat this word. We have to read this word. We have to study this word. We have to put it in our heart so that we can give it out to other people. God loves us so much that he tells us, we can have it. He gives it to us. He sent his son here to die for us. He sent his son here to get us out of this wilderness of sin, not to remove us from it, but to remove it from us, to help us get through this life every day without the heavy burden of sin. In Revelations 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chastise. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door of our mind. He's knocking on the door of our heart. And he wants us to invite him in. He wants us to repent and say, you know what? I had always done things right, but I know you're faithful to me and I want to be faithful to you. I want to know better how to be your disciple. We talk about discipling in this church all the time. The greatest discipler there ever was, was Jesus. And he's ready to disciple us. He's ready to disciple us through the reading and studying of his word, through our church, through hanging out with other Christians. And the first step of that is saying, you know, I hadn't got this all right before, but I want to get it better. I want to be better. I want your promises. I want to be more faithful, just like the centurion said. Help me in my unbelief. Help me be more faithful. God's not slack. God fulfills his promises. He promises us he will write us a new chapter in our book. He is the author. He is ready. He wants to do it today. He wants to start today with each and every one of us. It doesn't matter where we're at in our faith journey. It doesn't matter if we don't have a faith journey. He's ready to start our faith journey. He's ready to move us further in our faith journey. He promises to do that. And God is not a lie. He promises to do that. And God is not a lie. He's right here. He's in this building today. The Holy Spirit is right here. He wants us to come to him. He's searching for us. Just like he would any lost sheep. He's searching. He wants to, if, if we're saved, if we're better than we were yesterday, he wants to make us better tomorrow than we are today. And he can do it. I guarantee you he can do it. And I guarantee you that if you get around Christians that have been made better, they will tell you their story about being made better. They will tell you that life today is better than it was yesterday. Yesterday it was better than it was the day before. I'm not telling you it's going to be easier because the Bible tells us we have to work out our own salvation. It tells us we have to exercise like we're an Olympic, going to be in the Olympics. But it will be easy to live a life contented with God than it will be to live any other life you can have on this earth.
God loves you. God wants the best for you. God is willing to help you get there. In every way he can. But if you want to know the ways that he will help you, you have to eat the manna. And that starts with repentance. I'm sure every one of us has manna sitting somewhere on our shelves. I encourage you to take it. I encourage you to eat it. I will tell you it is sweet. And it will make your life more sweet. Thank you.